My name is Kirk Dunn, and this is the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. I'm an actor, writer, and knitter, and I'm also known as the Knitting Pilgrim. I earned that title because in 2003, I was awarded an Ontario Arts Council Chalmers Grant to knit stitched glass, an installation of three large panels designed in the style of stained glass windows, which look at the commonalities and the conflicts between the three Abrahamic faiths. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They took me 15 years to knit. And when the project was complete, my wife Claire and I wrote a play called The Knitting Pilgrim about my experience knitting stitch glass and my research into interfaith relations. One thing that wasn't covered in the play was the meaning behind imagery in the knitted panels. So this series explores each section in conversation because ultimately the project is about having conversations with empathy and curiosity about how we understand and sometimes misunderstand each other. Welcome to the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. Welcome to the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the Islamic window or, or panel. And um, just as, as a recap, um, inside each, uh, rather for each panel, I have um, used the structure of the dominant symbol of, of that faith. So for Islam, we've got the, the crescent and, and the star. And inside that symbol, I've placed the uh, images that evoke positive aspects of the faith, whereas then the images that are outside um, the symbols bring to mind more of the challenging issues and questions dealing with the faith and and how they relate to one another and 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 to the world. So um, for today, we're going to look at um, a section that's inside the crescent. It's on the it's on the left side. If um, it's just uh, below the halfway mark, I think, and it it evokes the the tremendous contribution that. Um, Muslims um, have made to science as scholars, engineers, and mathematicians. Um, and if you take a look at some of the images there, you can see a, a winged figure, and that is um, a representation of a gentleman named Abbas ibn Firnas, who uh, apparently experimented with flight in the year 875. So, and that was in Cordoba, Spain. And just to give you some context, that was about 600 years before Leonardo da Vinci and uh, about a millennium before the Wright brothers. And then in the bottom left of this section, you can see an astrolabe. Um, and that is a navigational instrument that was perfected by Islamic astronomers. And it, um, it opened up um, exploration and trade routes around the globe. And then in the background, we've got a geometric pattern of whirling stars. And that um, is a reminder of the, the Islamic contribution to mathematics and geometry. Uh, for example, we, we use Arabic numerals and we, um, are, um, we use algebra and algorithms. All, all those things are um, Islamic contributions. And to talk about the, these Muslim uh, contributions to science, both historic and modern, we are very fortunate to have with us uh, Dr. David Liebert. Uh, Dr. Liebert is a physician, a scientist, a theologian, and a Muslim community leader. He is the author of two books, Choosing Faith, it's currently in its third reprinting in Saudi Arabia by the International Islamic Publishing House, and Muslim, Christian, and Jew, 
Finding a Path to Peace Our Faiths Can Share, which is published by Faith of Life Publishing here in Canada. He is also wrapping up work on his third book, Different, Together, Forever. He's been a contributing columnist for the Huff Post and was the host of the podcast, The Optimistic Muslim. Dr. Liepert is a co-founder of Calgary's award-winning Interfaith Council, where he learned that hospitality is our world's shared sacrament. And maybe that's because, in his words, when you share a meal, you sometimes have to stop talking and listen to others while you chew. He is currently professor of interfaith, multi-faith, and post-faith relations at the Canadian Centre for Dean Studies in Toronto, Ontario. Dr. Liebert, welcome to the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. It's a pleasure to be joining you on these talks. Kirk, as as I've told you, I'm really, really impressed with your approach to, to interfaith dialogue because a picture is worth a thousand words. You have dozens of pictures. So you basically, you have an entire textbook uh, in just the pictures that you have, but people people are allowed to write the story themselves and they put it in their own context. And so it becomes non-prescriptive and it becomes eye-opening. And it's just, I, it's just, it's, it's a brilliant way of, of bringing insight to how much we have together and also uh, provoking dialogue about all of the things that, that perhaps uh, unnecessarily keep us apart. That is very kind of you to say. Thank you very much. And you know, let's uh, springboard from that and, and, uh, and have a, a dialogue about there, there's something that... Um, uh, that, that we in, in modern Western world, we, we tend to think of um, many Islamic countries as, as backwards and um, the, the, we're the ones who are technologically advanced and they're catching up. But there was a period when exactly the opposite was true. And so I, I wonder if you can maybe share with us what, what was it about Islam that encouraged those science, scientific and mathematical advances during that golden age where they were you know, between the 8th and 14th century? What, what about Islam made people think in those open and expansive ways? I have to ask you a question first. Did you know the importance of the number 19 in Islam when you chose 19 panels for your, for your window? I did not. Because that kind of leads us into, into this entire um, understanding of, of, of how we got to where we were and how we've gotten to where we are now. Because it's just, there's actually, the number 19 is an indication of divine sanctification, which which is like, it's, there, there there's a, there's an ayat in the Quran that, that says very clearly, overall is 19. Okay, and, and an ayat is, what is an ayat? A, a verse. And, and, a and verse. it's just, each verse is considered to be a miracle. And okay. so that miracle reveals that the number 19 is basically a number of completion in Islam. And if you look at the Quran, like it was, it was very obvious at the, at the beginnings of Islam uh, that, that uh, the number of chapters was divisible by 19. Uh, the number of words in Arabic is divisible by 19. As, they, as, as people were able to computerize and digitize uh, the Quran and the concepts, it's been discovered that the entire book is written in base 19 math, that 
everything in the Quran, every concept, every word, every uh, every Arab letter um, is actually um, there a multiple of nineteen times, which which is basically it's a it's a a, a proofing method. It's it's it, it's uh, God's own proofing method. Uh, to to confirm that nothing in the book has been changed, and it's it's a brilliant technique. And as as people have gotten into it and done the math and the computerization, it's been one of the miracles of the Holy Quran. And it was a it was a mathematical miracle. Like it's it's there. Um, it's not disclosed. Uh, in, in in a in a in a fashion uh, that that is is obvious. It's just it's put out there for people to discover for themselves. And and this is a recurring theme in the Quran. Uh, the Quran, as it was originally revealed, keeps on telling people, look at this, look at that, look at the stars, look at the sky, look at the seasons, look at each other, see all of the truths that are that are revealed to you about God and your your universe and your place in it in the holy quran and and so it created this this incredible uh, openness to to exploration and and discovery that really did drive islam for for about 600 years what what you were referring to as as the golden age of islam as as uh, muslims were spreading and expanding and creating an incredibly inclusive culture. It's like a lot of it, um, that uh, that uh, Ibn Firnas, the, the guy uh, who flew in Cordoba, um, it just, Andalusia was, was considered by, by a lot of people the, the highest point that, that Islam ever achieved. And it was a place where it's like everybody was free to think, everybody was free to practice their religion. Um, everybody was free to explore. Everybody was free to to reason, because in fact the Quran told people to do all of those things, and the, and the Quran told people that we all have different paths, but God has put us on our paths, and we're there to explore it. And and that was what really drove like Ibn Firnas. It's just I'd never heard of that man, and it's just so. Of course, uh, we're having this talk. I googled him. He actually flew. Like there's 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 uh, he probably had the first glider, and and apparently he flew for enough time. Uh, when the Wright brothers flew with their powered craft, they had to fly for a minute. Um, he apparently flew from a parapet all the way back to the parapet, and when he landed, uh, because he didn't have a tail, he hurt his tailbone. It just <laughs> and, and so there, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of. Um, obvious truth to that story. Like, like people were laughing at him for the fact that, that he didn't give himself a tail, he just gave himself feathers. <laughs> so it's just, that's probably a true story. And it's just, there there are so many things like that in the beginnings of, of uh, the Islamic exploration of this incredible world uh, that, that God gave us to live in. Uh, so that's that's fascinating because what I hear you saying is that the Quran and uh, and, and the Prophet Muhammad uh, were, were both telling people to look at things, to explore, to ask questions, to find answers, um, to you know, be open to other possibilities, and to you know um, yeah move forward. 
And and yet, when we think of, and, and this is not just with Islam, when, when we think of a lot of religions now, just because of the way the kind of press religions get, which is usually the the extreme views in religion make make the uh, make the headlines. A lot of that is about don't look for answers. All the answers are here already. Stop asking questions. Go back to really simple, simple ideas. So, is can you see that as part of what is happening in Islam right now? Oh, it's it's frankly it's a problem in every organized religion, and it's just it's it's really obvious how much of a problem it is in Islam. And, and for instance, my, my comments about the fact that the, the Quran is written in base 19 math, it's like, that's an incredible miracle, right? You would think that that would be something that was being trumpeted from the rooftops. But then the people who originally discovered that um, then started questioning the theology and the dogma and the doctrine of, of other Muslims who didn't have exactly their perspectives and their views. And to be honest, the, 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 the 19 people, um, they, are, they are wonderful people. But the Muslim religion includes billions of people. And those billions of people are incredibly diverse. Like every one of us probably believes a few things that, that maybe nobody else in the world believes this is probably true of every single religion but then there's this there's this uh concept of rooting dogmas things that you absolutely have to believe if you want to be one of us and being one of us is also a a, a centrally important drive in every religion because how do you define yourself if you don't have any standards of definition um is is the problem that every organized faith faces. And um, Islam went through this incredible 600-year burgeoning of exploration. And then suddenly people got afraid of the things that they were starting to consider. Um, one, of the, one of the most prominent Muslim scholars of the of the end of the golden age was actually one of the most important Muslim scholars of the golden age. His name was Al-Ghazali. Um, and, and he was a hyper brilliant polymath, but, but he's also a good example of why things fall apart because he wrote a book called the incoherence of the philosophers, where he basically said, okay, if you believe this, this, or this, you can't be Muslim anymore. Um, one of the things he said you can't believe is in causality. The, the fact that things happen because other things happen, because this whole concept of perfection, right? God must have a perfect path that each of us is walking on. Obviously, there's only one universe from Ghazali's perspective, and therefore causality can't exist. Right. So he actually argued against that entire thing. Whereas it's like you, you mentioned my third book that I'm working on right now, Different Together Forever. Um, I look at the whole concept of quantum mechanics and I say, well, you know what? Quantum mechanics, we live in, in 10 or 11 dimensional space time. There's even, there's a, there's an Iranian physicist who said that there's probably 12 dimensions. Um, <laughs> and the fact that we live in this 11 
plus or minus dimensional space-time continuum actually means that when God set causality in motion and the first act causes all other acts to happen, all other acts is the active phrase there. That, that instead of just one line of causality, in fact, every possible line of causality is empowered by 11-dimensional space-time. So it's like we live in this, in this multiverse that is so much more vast and so much more inclusive than, than we can even conceive. But the thing is, God conceived of it. And God conceived of this place where we can all find our path and we can all find our perfect path. And then there's this incredible place called heaven where all of the versions of you and I, because of this, this incredible principle of quantum entanglement, if, if you factor that back, um, every one of us is going to be myriad and legion and, and every path we've explored will become part of our most perfect self and, and we'll be the ones who know what the best choices were and we'll be able to glory in the perfection that we ourselves are able to achieve in that incredible compilation. So it's just, that's the thing about uh, intellectual and theological uh, rational thought when you bring them together. Theology sort of says, we have to figure this out. Um, rational thought says, we'll never be able to figure anything out. And so it's frightening. But faith says, God's figured this all out. We just need to live our best lives and, and be our most joyful selves and explore the universe. And, and it's just, it's, it's an incredible reality that we live in that we're supposed to just be exploring. Right. That's, uh, yeah. And so what I, I hear you saying there is that um, Islam and all religions really are compatible with, um, with the mystery and with not knowing. And in fact, I, um, there's a, uh, a, a very good um, American author named Anne Lamott, who says the, the opposite of faith is, is not doubt. The opposite, opposite of faith is certainty. And so it's that, that certainty, it's that certainty that we, that we think that we want, that we crave and that we, we hold on to religion to provide. And that is actually, that's not what religion is for. No, Our, it's for it's called faith because it's faith. It's yeah. you, you cannot be certain about it, and when we try to be certain about it, then we get ourselves into all these these, these troubles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the overwhelming thing that all of our religions say. Yeah, that it is good, and God makes it good. Yeah, yeah. that is well. Thank you for that. That's a that was a great. Uh, a great conversation. Uh, I wonder, before we, uh, we let you go on this uh, particular topic, I wonder if you could just give us a couple of um, examples of some of the wonderful things that uh, that Muslim scientists have given this our world, just uh, kind of things that we might not really realize about or advancements in, in various areas. Well, you know, medicine is my area of particular interest. And, and for instance, um, um, there's this there's this uh, fellow called uh, Ibn Sina, who who was 
one of the original Muslim doctors. Uh, in fact, he wrote the textbook of Western medicine, the canon of Western medicine for 600 years. Um, it was the textbook of medicine in the West. He, he was, uh, they, they anglicized his name and, and they called him Avicenna instead of Ibn Sina. But he actually created Western medicine. And from, from, from an anesthesiology perspective, because uh, I'm an anesthesiologist, um, Muslim doctors were the first doctors who performed what should be considered a modern cesarean section. Back in the original days of Caesar, the mother didn't ever survive a cesarean section because the mother was actually not considered to be a person. Uh, the mother was considered to be the vessel of the baby within. They would, uh, they would cut open the mother. The mother would die. The baby would be the reason why they did a cesarean section. The first actual successful modern uh, cesarean section where both the mother and the baby survived because of anesthesia, because they gave the woman wine and opium and cannabis, and they actually gave her a true anesthetic. They put her to sleep. They did the operation. They sewed her back up afterwards. Mummy and baby both survived. That was actually performed uh, in, the, in the ninth century in what is now Iran. Like, it just, they actually um, invented modern anesthesia and surgery over a century before we realized modern anesthesia and surgery in the West. And they wrote the textbook of medicine and surgery, but because of politics, uh, we didn't even let the man Ibn Sina keep his own name. All right, that's a, well, that is an outstanding example. Thank you. Dr. Liebert, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. If you would like to contact Dr. David Liebert, please reach out to me at kirkdunn.com and I'd be happy to put you in touch with him. This has been an episode of the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. We'd like to thank the Ontario Arts Council for their support of this conversation series and their funding of Stitch Glass and the Toronto Arts Council and the Canada Council for the Arts for their support of the Knitting Pilgrim Show. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this about interfaith matters, stitched glass, and knitting, please check out our episodes at kirkdunn.com or the Knitting Pilgrim YouTube channel. <laughs>